Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Hey, I'm excited to uh, jump into this study, the book of Philippians tonight. But before we do that, man, I want to encourage you to sign up for our uh, midweek kind of gathering. We're going to be either meeting online or meeting at people's homes for our for uh, training for victory uh, study. And so it's a six-week study, guys. We want to encourage you, if you want to be a part of that, just go on to the website and sign up so we can know. Again, we're going to be meeting at different homes. We're going to be meeting online. Whatever's comfortable for you, um, we're going to be able to uh, accommodate that. And I find you'll find some communities, some fellowship, some encouragement along the way. So I want to encourage you to do that. Open your books to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. We're going to, tonight, um, we're going to study through it. But tonight, I'm going to do a, a flyover tonight. You know, when people want to scout out some things, they do flyovers, right? And this is going to be flyovers like over 30,000 feet. So you're going to get an overview tonight through the study through the book of Philippians so you can get an understand. And my title tonight is called The Fat Life. The Fat Life. We're going to look at that. Not F-A-T life, but P-H-A-T life. Well, I'll explain what that means in a moment. Some of you might be very familiar with Russell Simmons. He's an entrepreneur. He's a, a recording producer, an artist. But he is more known for him establishing a clothing line called the, the Fat Farm. I don't know if you remember that church and stuff. He's called the church called the Fat Farm. For you all urban dwellers, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, he used to have that. It was a mixture of hip-hop fashion and Ivy League feel, this kind of this, this clothing. It started in a storefront in New York City and has grown to be a multi-million dollar business. In fact, you could say Russell is living the fat life. His clothing was for the natural man, but this evening, as we go through the book of Philippians, we'll be talking about clothing that is for the supernatural man. We're going to be talking about that clothing that fits us tonight. And so the next few weeks, I want to share with you what the fat life really is and and what it looks like. And it's a different type of clothing. It only fits a certain type of people. God has custom fitted you for an outfit that you're called to wear when we look at what this life looked like. And so this evening, we're going to be looking at the fat life and that people living the fat life are living large. And we would define it as having maybe the fat life today in the world, we would define it as having maybe power or possessions or cash flow, comfort or whatever we desire. We say, man, that brother's living large. That brother's living the fat life, we would say. Some people might know this name, Paris Lassane Crooks. Paris Lassane Crooks, born June 16, 1971, died September 13, 1996 to 25 years old. He is recognized in the Guinness Book World Records as the best-selling hip-hop artist in the world. Over 75 million albums sold. Some would say he lived a fat life. Paris Lassane Crooks, uh, Crooks changed the name to Tupac Amur Shakur. Right, Tupac Amur II is actually an Incan revolutionary who led a Peruvian uprising. That's where he got his name from. And he was sentenced to death in Spain. But we know Shakur comes from an Arabic word for the word thankful. Thankful to God. But we know that his life ended in a a drive-by shooting. His life ended in a tragic way as he was trying to tell his story, story through music and through this. And he lived, some would say him and Simmons probably lived the, the fat life. They, they probably lived the life 
that lived large. But the life they live and the life we're called to live are two different things. There's some that look at the world and say, this is the fat life. And there's others that live the world and say, God, what does the fat life look like for the believer? And we read that in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 17 to 20, which says, I love all who love me. Those who search for me will surely find me. Unending riches, honor, wealth, justice are mine to distribute. My gifts are better than purest gold and my wages are better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness and paths of justice and those who love me inherit wealth for I fill their treasures. Solomon is writing these very words. When you come to the book of Philippians, Paul the apostle is the author of this book. And he gives us the manuscript. He gives us the blueprint of what this fat, fat life looked like. In fact, you'll find it much different than what we think because God's economy is always different than the world's economy. Let's, if we study the book of Philippians, let's get a little context to, to what's going on. Paul is writing from, a, from prison. We know this as a prison epistle, right? He's at the end of his life. He's, he's on lockdown right now. He has friends with them, Tiffany and Epiditus is with them, right? In fact, when you look at the first chapter, he's writing to the Philippian church and the leaders there. He's writing while he's gaffled up, right? He's writing to friends to encourage them while he himself is locked up for the faith. He's writing to speak about rejoicing and joy and contentment, which are the key words to the book of Philippians. Really, the fat life is about joy. It's about rejoicing. Even in the midst of all the difficulties that Paul is facing, and even the midst of all the difficulties we might even be facing, we still can have joy and we can still celebrate. We can still worship and we can still give God praise. Because the fat life starts from within. And so what he begins to do here, he's, what he's doing here is, is that, that the people that he is writing to, he knew them personally. He just wasn't writing a letter to a crowd. He's writing a letter to people that he had encounters with in the, in the book of Acts chapter 16. He was writing to a girl who was demon-possessed and was exploited by economic oppression by a man who wanted to oppress that. And, Jesus, and Paul comes and heals her and he calls a craziness in the city because now she no longer is under oppression by selling the goods for this man. Now she's set free. In fact, we know the Philippine jailer. You might feel the Philippine jailer where the, the, the leaders are locked up, right? Paul is locked up and there's an earthquake and he wants to come out, but he doesn't leave the jailhouse, right? And there's a jailer, the, the jail guard who's watching, wants to kill himself because he knows if this man gets away, his life is going to be killed. But Paul stays there and ministers to him and shares the gospel and he gets saved and his whole household. Paul had a prison ministry inside and you think about Lydia who was the gal who was a die cast who made clothes out there in Philippi who began to Paul began to minister to her these were the first converts of Philippi these three a demon possessed woman a prison guard right a lady who sold clothing she had her own fat farm you know what I mean and stuff she had all those different things and it was these people that started the church and Paul knew them by name he had a relationship. So when he writes this letter, he ain't just writing a letter to a group of people. He's writing to faces, names, and people that he knew. And so you see that he writes in that way. When you write letters to people that you know, you, you write and it's very personal. 
And so when you get into the book of Philippians, it's going to get very personal. Paul's going to get very personal. It's almost a kind of his story, a little bit about what's going on in his life. And he wants to encourage the people to, to not get discouraged by what he's going through. To be encouraged and to rejoice because the furtherance of the gospel is going out. I entitled this sermon series, The Fat Life. And I told you it's not spelled F-A-T, but P-H-A-T. Because I believe that's the acronym of the book of Philippians. See, the first chapter is the letter P in fat. It's about passion. Paul was a passionate man. And you see his passion in chapter one. We're going to look at that in a moment. The second chapter is the letter H. has to do with humility. As he writes about the humility of Jesus and the example of humility and our own humility. Because it's through humility we enter into the kingdom. Chapter three is the letter A for acquisition about what we acquire and what we receive by faith. And the last letter of fat is T because it talks about transformation. And so in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at each of those letters as we journey through the chapter. As we begin to look through what this fat life really looks like. For those who or want to know the book. I've often done this when I study the Bible. I do things like this, and it's like in my brain is a little file cabinet there, and it helped me file the word in the God. And so when I think of the book of Philippians, I think of the word fat because that reminds me of the outline. So when I need to pull things up in my mind to encourage people, I know, oh man, people want to need passion. I'll go to book chapter one, and I'll talk about passion to encourage the people. When I talk about humility, chapter two is all about humility. See, guys, when you study the word and you can learn things like that, that will help you remember what the scripture is all about. And so I want to encourage you to use that as your outline so you'll know the book of Philippians tonight. So let's pray as we're going to do a flyover tonight. And starting next week, we'll get into more of the details. So can we just do that tonight? Father heaven, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And so I pray tonight, Lord, as we just do an overview tonight of the book of Philippians. It's only four chapters, Lord. It's simple. We can read it in a day. We're going to do that tonight. And, and I pray that the people would just be encouraged with just the little nuggets we can find at the overview of the flyover, Lord, as we get a, a view of the whole terrain of this book, that, Father, we would be encouraged by it. So I pray for your spirit to be the teacher tonight. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. The, the first chapter is about passion. Chapter one, and it's really about people of passion. About people of passion. In fact, the word passion is translated excitement or obsession or the word enthusiasm. In fact, the word enthusiasm translated in the Greek is in theos, which is translated God in us, right? And the greatest joy that we can have in our lives tonight is to be able to serve in the areas that we're called to, in the areas that we're passionate about. Because when we serve in the areas that we're passionate about, guys, guess what? We find the greatest joy. Sometimes we're, we're serving in places we're not supposed to be serving in. And sometimes we get frustrated. But if we can find that, that, that place that God's called us, that place of service, that place we're called to be, man, that's the sweet spot, right? The sweet spot. My wife made some lunch today and she made this, this uh, chicken, this lime chicken today for lunch. And I was like, honey, you hit my sweet spot right there. Okay, listen, listen, pause, right? Let me tell you, if you're people of passion, find that sweet spot, that God's called you to, to serve in, that passion. And we're going to see that here, that he's going to be right about passion here. In fact, in verses one through eight, you're going to see here Paul's passion for people. 
his passion for people. He's writing from a prison house to the church in Philippi, to the leaders and the elders. You see that here in the first few verses in one or two. He's, he's authoring this. He's the author doing that. But look at the words he used. Look at verse three. He says this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. When he's writing his letter, he's thinking probably about those encounters in Acts chapter 16. He's thinking about, hey, I remember when we were down by the river there. I remember that night the earthquake shook. He's remembered the faces of these leaders. In fact, verse seven says, what, just it is right for me to think, think this of you because I have you in my heart. I have you. You're precious to me. You're precious to me. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with affection of Jesus Christ in verse eight. Paul had a passion and a love for the people in Philippi. I think if we're going to be people of passion tonight, how do we love one another? Can we love one another strong? Can we have a passion for love? I so look forward to the gathering when we get together on Sundays or midweeks or house gatherings or wherever we may be because I long just to hang out with you and be with you. There's a passion for that. You know, I know pastors, they come and go. I see pastors come to church, they're there for three years and move on to another church. That's never been my heart. I mean, Brent, you've been with me like, I don't know, seven, eight years. We've known you for 25 years. You know what I mean? I've been at Division started 13 years ago. I don't have any plans leaving because I love you guys and I'm passionate about what God wants to do in developing leaders and people, investing. That is discipleship. That's, that's the passion that God's given me to shepherd people and to love on them and to make sure that they're going to finish strong. Paul had a passion for people. But not only did he have a passion for people, in verses 9 through 11, he had a passion for prayer a passion for prayer. You know, we see here in verse nine, he says, in this I pray, he writes. And we see a prayer that, that goes out. Because he had a deep, deep affection for the people, he has also a deep affection for prayer. When you see people that are struggling, because this is a lot of persecution going on at the time, he's praying for the people that are hurting. He loves them, that he's to commit himself to pray for them. May we have a passion and a burden to pray. Why do we pray here for service? Why do we take a moment and, and, and Sean led us in prayer time? And why do we do that? For, maybe some for some, this is the only prayer time you've had all week. I hope not. I hope we're on our knees daily. Because if we want our daily bread, we need to be on our knees daily. Amen. We need to have wisdom and we need to be seeking God in prayer. And so there has to be a burning desire to be on our knees and to pray. And Paul knew that. I could imagine being gaffled up to a, an officer of the guards in that jail where he's locked up and he's there and he wants to do ministry because he could be a man of preaching, a passion for preaching in a minute and he's praying. People could be praying like when they get in troubles or difficulties, they're praying what? Oh, get me out of here. Paul never did that. Peter never did that. In fact, when Peter was gaffled up and came out, he didn't pray, get back at the men that beat him. He said, Lord, give me more boldness. Give me more courage. Give me more strength. So we see Paul here in 9 through 11. He talks about prayer. We'll get into those details of that prayer as we move on. And then he had a passion to preach in verses 12 to 18. A passion to preach, a passion to, to share the word. In fact, verse 18 says, not only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Can you imagine? He's in a prison guard gaffled up next to an officer, maybe a centurion. 
Paul loves to preach. The satyrians guarding there, full attention for six to 12 hours. Can you imagine? I, I think he wore those guards down. Man, I, gotta, I better accept Jesus because I'm tired of hearing this preacher guy go for 12 hours. Right? Gaffled up to this guy. This guy probably went through the whole Testament with this. Let me tell you this story about David and Goliath. Let me tell you this story about the king. Let me tell you, and he's just telling him all the Old Testament stories leading all the way to Jesus. Let me tell you about my conversion. Let me tell you about the road to Damascus. Let me tell you. And he's just he preaching the gospel. This guy's probably going, oh, God. Oh, boy. But we know what? He came to faith because later on he talks about how in Caesar's household, guards came to know Jesus. Paul didn't waste his time, regardless of the situation, did not waste his time to share the gospel that was anybody around. He had a passion to preach and tell people about Jesus. Listen, you also have a passion for Christ. We talked about a little bit of that this morning, not to be ashamed of Christ and his word this morning. A passion for Christ. We see that in 19 to 26 in, in chapter one. Verse 21 says this, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, he had a heart that says, right now, God, you have me here for this purpose to fall in love with you, to draw near to you. Your word says, if I draw near to you, you'll draw near to me. God, this is eternal life to know the only true God. The prayer of Jesus in John 17, three. This is, this is, how you're saved. This is the work of God that I call you to believe upon me. Guy, discipleship is really about falling in love with Jesus, to know him, to live for him, to walk with him. That's what we do on this side of heaven. But to die is to gain, right? It's the completion of our salvation. It's, it's, a, it's the finished work of God. It's the finished work of sanctification when we go be with Jesus. That's, that's what he's calling us. That's why we walk with God, to, to draw near with him. That's the, that's the finish line. That's the crowning. That's the glory. Live now for Christ, understanding there's a reckoning day for me to be before the Lord and celebrate that victory. Paul understood that no matter his circumstances, no matter if he gets out of the jail, he knows that one day, you know what, he's, he's going to be killed. We know Paul was eventually would be executed and his head cut off historically. He knew that he was going to that season at the end of his life. He's talking about, hey, man, it's all good where I'm at. I'm in this prison. I'm gaffled up. If, it's, if, if I die, hey, I'll praise Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. He didn't see it as a, he didn't see it as a fearful thing. He saw it as a faith thing. So he had passion for Christ. But also Paul said that we have the passion for obedience. We see that in 27 to 30 in the book of Philippians. A passion for obedience because it said, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We see that in verse 27. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's a lot to be said how we live. How, do, how we live, right? We know in the Old Testament, there was Saul who, what, was going to fight the armies and enemies and he was waiting for the prophet to come to bring the sacrifice and he didn't wait and he did it himself. And he lost his kingdom. He lost his kingship because of it. And the prophet said, God wants obedience over sacrifice. He wants our obedience today. He wants our obedience to say, God, if you said, if you love me, you'll, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. 
and my commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. God's not trying to put this heavy load on us. You know, he's not trying to tell you to run this way, run this, run, run this race and then put bean bags on your ankles and backpacks with weights and rocks. And that's how people see the commands. Oh God, you're just trying to weigh me down with rules and you're trying to hold me from having, no, those, in those commands, we have liberty and we have freedom. In those boundaries, he keeps us safe. That's the key to obedience because obedience will lead us to life. Disobedience will lead us to death. God knows what's best for us. And, and so Paul's writing here, let your conduct be worthy, be praiseworthy of the gospel of Christ. Let us not bring shame to the gospel. That's what he's saying. Let's not let the gospel, let's not, let's not put a bad name on Jesus. Not that we can put a bad name on Jesus, but let's not bring shame to the work that God wants to do through the gospel. That's the power of testimony of our own lives. So we see here, chapter one is about passion. It's about passion, the P and the fat life. When we jump to chapter two, it's people of humility. It's people of humility, right? Humility is not weakness, it's meekness. It's power under control. Jesus had power, but he was the most humble man you could ever imagine. We know when they were going to take him in and Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus to get ready to crucify him. And he's like, dude, don't you know I could call angels from heaven? You know? Don't you know I could take the breath out of your lungs right now? God had the power and the authority. If he had the power and the authority to calm the wind and the rain and the storms in a boat, surely he could take the breath out of a man. And yet here, he's a humble man. He's calling about weakness. In verses one through four in chapter two, it's the heart, looking at the heart of humility. The heart of humility. Look at verse four. Let each of you look not on his, only for his own interests, but also the interest of others, right? There was this young man named Brian, and Brian was driving me, saw on the road this elderly woman who was stuck on the side of the road with a flat tire, so he, he pulled over to help her, changed her tire. And she was so thankful, she wanted to, to pay him some money, but he refused. Even though he knew he needed the money, he refused it. And she wanted to keep giving him money. He goes, no, 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 you keep your money. She so goes, and then he said, you know what? You go give it to somebody else who can use it. You take what I did, take the money, give it to somebody else who can use it. Somebody else you see in need. She, she got in a car and she drove off and so she went to a diner. And she got some to eat. And there was this waitress that was here. And she served this waitress. She was pregnant, in need. And that woman gave the $400 to this waitress. When this waitress got home, she was so excited to tell her husband. And then when Brian walked in the door, she told her the story. <laughs> you never know the humility that God sees in our own hearts. That God will meet us in this humble heart. And we have to have a heart of humility. But we saw that modeled in Christ. The humility of Christ in chapter 2 at verses five through 11. We see his example of humility. 
In verse 8, he says, And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He, he talks about the mind of Christ in this, in this passage, that we are to put on the mind of Christ. But his humility was to, to take on the nature of man, to leave the heavens, to leave his glory, to leave the, the worship of, of heaven, to leave the presence of his father, to come here and put on skin, the humility of that for him, that the word became flesh. And that he humbled himself to, to the commands of his father, to the obedience of his father, of the plan to go to the cross. The obedience that even led him to the cross. That was the humility of Christ. Set an example of humility. But also humility in action. We have a humility in our heart, the example of humility. And now we see humility actions in 12 to 18. Verse 15 says this, and that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in this world. Hmm. May we humbly serve. May we give of ourselves. We don't think each other better, but we put on the mind of Christ. We, 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 we don't have to worry about titles and, and all that. I don't care if you call me Pete or Pastor Pete. I could care less. I'm a brother among brothers and sisters here serving Jesus together, right? I don't think the Lord's gonna say, welcome, good and faithful Pastor Pete. <laughs> I don't think that's what I'm gonna hear when I get to the kingdom. You know, I'm, ho I'm hoping I just heal good and faithful servants. You know what I mean? But in this time, may the work that we do be in humility. The actions that we do are in humility. We're not here to seek ambition. We're not here to make sure that, you know, we're building our name up and our eagle up and we're marketing and we're doing all that stuff. That's not what we're about. That's not the humility of action there. We're found blameless and harmless. Blameless means without accusation, without with spots. He refers to us here as the children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked or perverse generation. We're his children. In fact, the word um, children here actually means a relationship between a rabbi and a disciple. We often think, oh, my, we have little kids and little children. But it's really the word on in, in the Greek, which means a relationship between a teacher and a student. That's why he's saying children. Oftentimes, you're going to see little children, children throughout uh, the Bible. You'll see it a lot in 1 John. Little children or children. It's the relationship between God and the Son. Children of God without fault in the midst of his crooked provision among you shine light in the world. You know what? Um, when Mary was called to, to be the mother of Jesus, she was found to be pregnant. She heard the news. She sang a song, right? We know it's Mary's song. And one of the verses there was, let us magnify the Lord together. That was the words in one of her songs. You know what that means? Let us, let the Lord be large. Let's let the Lord be seen. That's the actions we're called. Let us see our light that they may glorify our Father in heaven. 
that the people would see Jesus and our Heavenly Father by our lives. That's the humility of action. And he, he gives two servants here. In verses 19 to 30, two servants that were very much doing that. Humble servants were characterized by humility. You look at young Timothy, who was actually with Paul and the author, co-author of this book, predominantly Paul, but we read at the beginning, Paul and Timothy, right? Verse 20 says, for I have no one like-minded who would sincerely care for your state. Paul is describing the character of young Timothy. Young Timothy, who was a fearful, anxious, young pastor. We have two, what, Timothy, first and second Timothy books written to him. We had ulcers, he had anxiety, he had fear. Paul had to keep affirming him as a young pastor. Some would think he was weak. He says, man, you don't have a spirit of timidity and of fear, but a sound power and a sound mind. This is the young man Paul took under his wings as a, from a single home raised by his mom and his grandmother. This young man, Paul had an important role. This was the same one that Timothy saw and when, when they came to his town and they stoned Paul and they thought he was dead and Timothy was watching and then Paul rose up again. They thought he resurrected. They believed that was the time when they, the Judaizers stoned him and they thought he was dead. That they, they believed that Paul went to the third heaven and saw heaven. And Timothy saw him and it says they were there. In Acts chapter 15, 16, right in there. And they're there. And it says after he got beat up and stoned, he went to a place called Derby. You know how far that was? Like 50 miles. He got beat up and then got up and walked 50 miles to go preach the gospel. Timothy saw that. And then Paul said, Timothy, you're going to journey with me. We're going to do this to work together. And Saul is affirming this young pastor, Timothy. Ephroditus, he mentions too in verse 30, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your servants toward me. He's mentioning two people by name, two servants by name, two humble servants, right? This man was willing to die for God and for, for Paul, right? He came close to death. Now that's a disciple. <laughs> Why? Why, was he, why did he come close to death? Not regarding his life. That's a very interesting statement. God, this life is yours. You own this. And so what you want with it, I'm willing. Right? In Revelation chapter 12, what, what was it that overcame Satan? What was it that overcame Satan? Do you remember what it was? The blood of the land, the testimony of the saints, and they didn't count their life their own, it says. If I don't count my life my own, I don't care what's happening out in the world. I don't care what's going on. I don't care what trials we're going through. God, this life is yours. You know the number of my days. You know what you need from me. And when you're done with me, to live as Christ is die is gain. Amen? We already talked about that. And that's why he's recognizing this young pastor, this young leader. He has a relationship with you. And so we see there the humility in chapter two. In chapter three, people of acquisition. The word acquisition means something we acquire or obtain. We've obtained some salvation, right? I don't know if I told you this story, but a friend of mine was a chaplain in the prisons and he would minister to a lot of people, men, especially in the men's prison. And there's this ex-Mexican, old Mexican gangster, this gangster, 
right? And he would share with them the gospel over and over. He's going, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And over for years, I don't want to hear that stuff, man. And then one day, that gangster guy came to the pastor. Hey, man, I got saved. What? He goes, I got saved. Really? Well, tell me how you got saved. He goes, I opened up my Bible and I started reading it. And I opened up to Matthew chapter one. For you guys know what Matthew chapter one is? If you don't know, look it up. It's the genealogy of a bunch of names. It's like Matthew chapter one. He's like, there's a bunch of names in it. He goes, yeah. And in verse two, it says, Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brother. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron. Man, there's Mexicans in the Bible. Look, they got Perez. God will use anything to draw you. He will use anything to draw you. You are acquiring a new life in verses 1 through 11. Look at verse 8. Yet indeed, I also call all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Acquiring a new life. Paul's right. Look at this fat life starts with this new life you have. This new walk. This, I count the past as loss for excellence, what? Of knowing Christ. Guys, intimacy with Christ. A walk with God. Not knowing about God, but knowing God. Paul knew a lot about God. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious zealot. He, he, he talked about his writing later about his boasting, his testimony about how he followed the law to the every I was crossed, every T was crossed, every I was dotted. He was this, he boasted about his lineage and his history. And he said, I, I count that as all done <laughs> for the knowledge of Jesus. That didn't matter. What's most valuable to me is this excellent knowledge of Christ. Guys, if we are going to do anything for the kingdom of God is to fall in love and know God. For that will change you radically in such a radical way that you'll obey the commands. Because why? Because you just love God. It's not burdensome. Well, he's saying here, look at, remember your new life. But not only that, he says you're acquiring a new hope, right? A new purpose. You see that in 12 through 16 in those verses. Verse 13 says this, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. God gives us a purpose. He gives us an identity. He gives us a call right? What Paul is saying is, you know, I don't fully comprehend. means I haven't got it all figured out yet. That's what he's saying. Guys, we're on this journey, right? If you know it all, come talk to me because I'll ask you a lot of questions because I don't know it all. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. And Paul is saying here, I don't count myself as apprehended, but one thing, you say, one thing I do know, right? I'm forget my things that held me and bound me in the past, I'm going to forget those things that used to weigh me down, right? And I'm reaching. I'm moving forward. I'm, I'm looking ahead to those things which are ahead. What's ahead? Being with Jesus, that's ahead. Heaven, that's ahead, right? That's, that's our goal. That's where we're going ahead. That's our purpose there. That's where we get hope from. That's our heart. Blessed hope, Scripture calls it. 
So we don't have to lose heart today. We don't have to be discouraged today. We might get news that knocks us back. We might get things that maybe stumble. You might get things that trouble us, but we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. But guess what? Not only do we have this hope, but acquiring a new future, 17 to 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which also we eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven. For those who have been in the faith a long time, you might remember Larry Norman, a famous gospel singer. He always wrote a song, we're just passing through, this planet is not my home. This planet is not my home. You know, I'm American, but I'm really a citizen of heaven. My papers, you know, and I don't need, my only papers is the blood of Jesus. I don't need a passport to get in heaven, right? I don't need a COVID shot to travel, right? A vaccine, I'm covered by the blood of the lamb, right? That's my paperwork into heaven. That's my citizenship. Guys, my challenge to you, if we are citizens of heaven, don't get comfortable on this side of heaven. You know, but don't be holding to this side of heaven these things that we don't want to let go because they'll turn like sand in your hand. Remember, we're citizens of heaven. Sometimes we live, we don't live like that. We don't live like that. So this is what we acquire. This is what we acquire. And then chapter four, where people are transformation. The word transformation is a, a conversion or a change, a metamorphosis. It's something supernatural that happens. There's a supernatural change when we come to, when we acquired faith, we acquired this purpose, this hope, this new life. Something happens supernaturally in us and we get this divine nature as Peter talks about. See, we, this new life, God put something in us. Like, remember that movie, Transformers? <laughs> like you had those science that turned those cars that turned into robots and these different things. It comes from within. We're not being conformed by this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Not being conformed by outside pressures and things, but being changed from within and we're being changed day by day. The work's being done day by day. There's a process of sanctification as we submit ourselves and to the Lordship of Christ. There's a process of that transformation. And so we're transformed in what? In our relationships. You see that in one through seven. This community is important to bring about transformation in our life. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to, to all men. Why is he rejoicing? Well, first of all, Paul's going through a lot of trials, right? He's going through a lot of difficulties. He's going through a lot of things there. But he's experiencing joy. He's singing. He's rejoiceful. Rejoice in the Lord always. He didn't say rejoice the Lord sometimes. Or he didn't say rejoice when things are going good. Paul's in jail when he's writing this. He's gaffled up. He's probably cold. And he's probably hungry. I don't even know if he got how much water he probably got. He's in a prison, right? He's gaffled up. And he's, he's reminding his brothers and sisters at Philippi, hey, keep rejoicing. Man, come on, Paul, bring it. They're like, you're going through the fire and you're telling us to rejoice. 
Isn't that the heart of a transformation of somebody who's transforming and trying to be transformation to others to say, just change, just, you know, don't always look at the negative. You know, people are always negative, you know what I mean? Some see half glass full, others see half glass empty, right? It's all in your perspective. It's how you see it. But let your gentleness be known for all men. What's your relationship with people? Be gentle with one another. Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? Goodness, mercy, gentleness, kindness, self-control. That's love. That's what brings great joy. He's talking about a community we're called to be in. These relationships, the encouragement. Then he says what? Be transformed in your thinking. <laughs> we know this pastor is very familiar, right? Is when we have anxiety and worry and stress, right? But he says, meditate on these things. And he lists a whole bunch of things there. He says, I want, I want you, if you meditate on these, God will guard your heart and your mind. The anxiety you might fear. That's, guys, meditation and memory, memorization of scriptures is the way we exercise our, our mind and our muscles and our mind. I'm so blown away by my wife. She's memorizing the whole book of Hebrews. The whole, that's like deep. Like she's putting for me to share and driving. She's like, okay, okay, break it down, honey. And she's quoting the whole book. She's already in chapter five. The whole book, right? I know some verses in the book of Hebrews. She's like, got it down. And so the other day we were talking, and I was like, oh yeah, it says this in verse so and so and five of Hebrews, and bumbo, she spits it out. I'm like, oh snap, let me look it up. See if you're correct. You know what I mean? And she's, she's convicting me. She's encouraging me up on this road and on this journey. But meditate on things, because if you meditate on God's word and things of God's word, he'll guard your heart and mind with peace. We've been living in some troubled times and people have been fearful, but we need to meditate on the promises in the word of God. That's what's going to get us going. That's what's going to get us through. Our relationships, our memories, exercising, are being transformed in our thinking, but also being transformed in our generosity. In our generosity. He's in verse, that's 10 to 23, but he says, verse, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. In the midst of it was hard. You supported me. You supported me financially. You gave of yourself. You gave to the ministry. You gave to the things of God. When you fall in love, guys, be generous. Be generous people, right? I know they moved to, when you go out to eat now, and it used to be 15%, now it's 18%. And we're like, oh, snap, it went up 3%. The waitress says, we got to pay three more percent like grumbling, complaining, you know. Be generous because those waitresses need the money right now. <laughs> be generous to be a, a good test. Don't just leave a track and then don't leave a tip. Love those waitresses. Be generous with those waitresses and waiters. And along the line, when you give them, say, hey, can we pray for you today? Can we, is there something I could talk to you about? Can we, we're going to pray for our meal right now. Can I pray for you? And then bless them with a tip. Or be, maybe God's moved to be generous in the ministry of your time, of your efforts, whatever God wants to do, of your gifting in the ministry. It might be financial, it might be time, it might be talents, it might be treasure, whatever. Be generous in those things. When your life is transformed, your heart is transformed, 
your actions are transformed. It's not the other way around. You're not trying to change your behavior. You change your heart and your behavior will change. That's how God works. That's why he said, love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Change the heart and the behavior will follow. Change the way you think and your behavior will follow. I, was, I played sports. I played football and I played college football. But I remember I was always taught one thing in football. When you got on the line and you're going to go against your opponent, this was always what was told me. The lower man always wins. What that meant was that when I was coming in with my opponent, if I could get my body lower than my opponent, I'll have more leverage. And I could lift him and I could move him. But if he got lower than me, he would have leverage to be able to move me. But wherever I put, but wherever I went and I could move him, and if I got up into his head and I moved his head, his body will follow. Because wherever your head goes, your body goes. Listen, if I change the way I think, wherever my head goes, wherever I think, that's where my body will go. That's where my actions will go. If I get low in my prayer time, I'm getting lower than the enemy. I'm getting lower to those things in my life and I'm getting on my knees. Then I'm going to have leverage in prayer to get to where I need to do to have the things I need to get done by prayer. Generosity will be an outpouring of a transformed life. We're not called to be stingy. <laughs> We're not called to be hoarders. I love my wife. She says, we can't be hope hoarders. <laughs> We can't be hope hoarders. So I close, as we close tonight, we just did a flyby. We're going to get deeper into these things as we go. My daughters uh, love making cake. And to make a cake, you have, you have to get flour and milk and sugar and eggs. But if you eat those things alone, and some are all right, some taste nasty. I never ate flour just by eating flour, Right? But when you put those ingredients together and you make a cake, it's sweet. It's good, right? Paul here has written out the ingredients to live the fat life, and it's sweet. It's sweet. So I want to give you with some questions. Usually I'll give you, hey, remind you. But here's some questions I want you to write down if you're taking notes. And this I want to challenge you this week with this. Sit down this week and write down what you're passionate about. Sit down, write what you're passionate about. Maybe that's what you're gifted in. What are you, write down what you're passionate about this week. First thing. Second thing, what area do you need to humble yourself in and serve? I asked you that question. What area, God, are you working on with me? My wife asked me a question once. She goes, hey, look at the fruit of the Spirit. What area of the fruit of the Spirit do you think I need to work on? And we talked about that. She asked me too, and I said, I think I need patience. Never ask for patience, trust me. <laughs> but that's one of the fruit of the Spirit, right? I need this area. I want to work on this area, Lord. What area do we need to humble ourselves and serve? Third one, write down one goal you want to accomplish before the end of the year and make toward fulfilling them. What's, this, what's one goal that you want to accomplish this year as you're living out this fat life? What's your purpose? What's your hope? What do you want to accomplish this year? And lastly, what area of change is God speaking to you about today? And what steps are you willing to do to be obedient to it? To be obedient to it. Where does God challenge you today? God, this is the area I need to, I know you're moving in me in this area. I want the fat life. I want the life of joy. I want the life of life. 
Bible says, he who has the son has life, but he who does not have the son does not have life. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you for um, tonight. We thank you for your love and blessings. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and grace, Lord. Lord, we want the fat life, but we know that fat life is found in your word. It's found in your truths. And you called us to be obedient to your word. So I pray for your brothers and sisters in this room that are here tonight and those that are online. Lord, I, I just pray tonight you bless. Bless them tonight as, they're, as they journey through the book of Philippians. I pray that they would read it this week and, and study it this week, Lord, as we're just gonna journey through it in the next couple of weeks, that you would speak to our hearts, that, Lord, we would begin to taste the joy of the Lord. And you said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I pray your blessings upon your people tonight. Father, as we've given a challenge this week, may we step up into that challenge that you could begin to transform our hearts, that we'd be humble enough to even do those steps, Lord, that we would acknowledge that, Lord, we need you because we want to be more like you. And so we thank you and we praise you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.